This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. With summer coming up, I'm already dreading not only the traffic on the roads, but also the increased cost of groceries and the fact that my children eat all day long. You know, we all have stressors. Some are big and some are small, like an increased grocery bill. But therapy is a safe place to actually get these stressors off your chest and to figure out how you can actually work through them. There are many benefits to therapy for people from all walks of life. It's helpful to learn positive coping skills so you don't freak out about that grocery bill and how to set boundaries. Therapy can empower you to be the best version of yourself, and it isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's convenient, flexible, and entirely online. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Moore today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Russell Moore. This is Russell Moore, and you're listening to The Russell Moore Show, brought to you by Christianity Today. Every week, we explore here conversations and questions from a Christian perspective to help you sort out how to live as a follower of Jesus in confusing times. This week, we have a conversation to seek to do just that. Here at the show, I have been really lax lately because we have not done a Tell Me Where I'm Wrong episode in a long time. I I think, as a matter of fact, the last one was Rain Wilson, and that wasn't a typical Tell Me Where I'm Wrong. So there are a lot of you who are new listeners to whom I need to explain the rules of this game. <laughs> and that is I have somebody on each each time that we do this to tell me where I'm wrong on a particular point. And the rule is I cannot argue with them. I mean, I'm not I wouldn't want to argue with today's guest anyway. I wanted to learn from her. But there would, if I do get to a place where I start to try to debate or, and I've, I've been known to do this, to ask questions that actually are arguing debate, I want the guest to call me out on that. And I am really excited about today's conversation for two reasons. One, because of the topic, Holy Spirit, and a range of issues dealing with the Holy Spirit. I feel like we don't talk about these issues across the church. I think that people in specific church traditions talk about it, but I'm not sure that we sort of span traditions talking about it. And the other reason is the guest, Christine Kane, who is a speaker, author. She and her husband, Nick, founded an anti-human trafficking organization called A21. She's written a bazillion books, and you have no doubt read or heard her somewhere. Christine Kane, thanks for being with us today. 
Russell, I'm so pumped to be here with you. <laughs> well, this and, every- and nervous. Let's be upfront. I have never been more nervous about a podcast in my life. <laughs> Why? This is going to be so chill. I know. Well, number one, who wants to be? Tell Russell Moore where he is wrong. Oh, okay. <laughs> a lot of people. <laughs> Why don't we kind of start by you? came out of, I understand, kind of a Greek Orthodox background and ended up in a really different sort of expression of the church. How, how did you make that journey in your life? For sure. Well, you know, I grew up, to be Greek is to be Orthodox, Russell, you know, and mm-hmm. growing up immigrant Greek in Australia, uh, in um, Melbourne, Australia has the second largest Greek population outside of Athens, Greece. And so it is huge. And so you, I grew up in a bubble, you know, very much in a Greek Orthodox church. And so I grew up obviously in three hour liturgies in ancient Greek, which I didn't speak and nobody I knew spoke, but that was kind of our church service every week. And I kissed the Bible a lot. I never read it. I didn't know that you were allowed to. And mm. so then when I was at school, we used to have in Australia compulsory religious education for one hour a week. So if a church decided to send someone to teach you the Bible or about Jesus, they could. So I, but you could only go to Catholic or Protestant. That was the two choices when I was growing up. So I had to go to Catholic because I was Greek Orthodox and they sort of put us together and then all the Protestants. So I really didn't know much about anything to do with the Protestant church, but I used to sneak out of my Catholic classes into the Protestant group because the woman that was teaching it was a Baptist She was a mum in a Baptist church and she got saved during the Jesus revolution and and Jesus revival. And she was on an acid trip. She was the wife of a biker, fully tattooed, and she got saved on an acid trip. And so she was up there. Yes, okay, it was one of those. But the staunch Baptist, I'd never really met a Baptist. And so, and especially a tattooed biker's wife that got saved on an acid trip. So she was on fire as you normally are. And I assume you would be if you got saved in that kind of very Mm -hmm. radical sort of thing. And, but she began to teach me the Bible. I was stunned that, you know, that was really the thing over, I'll cut a very long story short. It took several years and lots of ups and downs, but then a friend invited me to a church in the suburbs of Sydney, Australia. Now you've got to understand up until then, I still hadn't been into a Protestant church So he invites me to a church which at the time was in a warehouse. Now, if anyone has any idea of a Greek Orthodox church, warehouse is not what you're doing. I walked in to the back of this warehouse. It was the 29th of January, 1989, and there was like lights and there was, I don't know if there were smoke machines, but there was definitely lights and like drums on the, you know, someone playing the drums and lots of loud music. I thought, now this is 1980s, I thought I walked into a disco. I have had a paradigm that this is church. And so I went in and it was a, when I say Pentecostal charismatic, I wouldn't have known what that was at the time. I mean, so I just walked Mm. in, but it was alive. It was full of people that genuinely loved Jesus. And I had a, a quite a radical encounter. I was one of those. I was one of those, you know, I was blind. Now I see. Mm-hmm. I was lost and I was found. It was a church that did altar calls. You walked the aisle. It was all the things and it radically changed my life. You know, I, that was where I learned. I was discipled and sort of then grew up in that tradition. I wouldn't really think of myself as a cessationist 
because I, I believe that miracles still happen. So it's, it's not as though I think the miraculous gifts have ended. But I do tend to think that the revelatory sorts of gifts, prophecy, and in my understanding, and I might be wrong, and that's one of the reasons why I want to talk to you when it comes to tongues is whether this is a revelation from God, that if it's translated is prophecy, or if it's something else. But, you know, this is one of these conversations. I can think of a lot of my really secular friends who don't know a lot about sort of what goes on in Christianity, who will be totally freaked out that we're even having a conversation about things that (laughs) they're going to say, what? So let's start with this. How do you see baptism with the Holy Spirit? Do, Do you see that as something that happens to everybody when they believe, or is that something that happens later? Okay. And Let me put my cards on the table here as well. Number one, a lot of my probably theology around the phrase baptism of the Holy Spirit, infilling of the Holy Spirit, actually has been shaped by Dr. Sam Storms, which I'm Mm -hmm. sure you know Sam Storms. Okay, so I would land a whole lot there. And I, I wrote down, you know, he says, the spirit who was once given and now indwells in each believer is continually given to enhance and intensify our relationship with Christ to empower our gifts in ministry. So he would say at salvation, the language would be, we are all baptized in the Holy Spirit because the yeah. Holy Spirit baptizes us into the body of Christ. Romans. Now, you know, I know some people would think, well, can the Holy Spirit actually baptize anyone into anything? It's Jesus that does the baptism. But You know, where I think classical Pentecostalism would be is they would say, okay, everyone, when we come to that place of salvation, we all receive the Holy Spirit, but there is a second baptism that would happen. And then we look at the book of Acts all throughout Acts. Mm -hmm. There would be different examples of where that argument would have, would, would land. I think a lot of this, Russell, in my experience around the world, has got more to do with semantics than anything else. Whether you want to use the language baptism of the spirit, filling of the spirit, Mm -hmm. do I believe that there that at salvation, every believer has been sealed with the Holy Spirit. He comes and indwells in all of us and we are sealed until the day of redemption. Absolutely. Do I believe that and according to scripture, all the way through the book of Acts, that there is access to another. uh, Now, it depends how it's worded and it depends what version you read, but we see several times in Acts the the phrase used and they were baptized in the spirit. Luke 18, they hadn't yet, I mean, sorry, Acts 18, they hadn't yet known the Holy Spirit. Then they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. There's so many different languages that we use, baptized, filled, but there is obvious times, you know, Philip mm-hmm. turns up and that where there is a secondary encounter with the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself in Acts 1 said to the disciples, wait until the promise is sent. Another, you will be John baptized with water. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so is there a secondary experience? Now, do I believe there's an ongoing feeling? It's not like a, a once and done. Wow, mm-hmm. we've encountered Holy Spirit, it's once and done. I think that we have ongoing, that was that quote there, that we have ongoing encounters with the Holy Spirit that empower us 
for ministry, for mission, for our purpose here on the earth. And I think it's biblically defensible Mm -hmm. (laughs) that we see subsequent to salvation encounters with the Holy Spirit. I think what's divided the church is language. What may have split the church in many cases is people saying, well, you weren't saved unless you have had this kind of encounter. Mm. And I mean, who is anyone to say that? You're not saved by that. You know, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that, you know, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I mean, there's, yeah. it, you don't, it doesn't say, and also you need to have all of this other stuff. I really get sad that this has been a dividing issue in the church. So I don't like the arrogance of the charismatic Pentecostal people. And again, it's not all of them, but the ones that would say, well, you're not, I mean, who is anyone to say you're not (laughs) filled with the spirit if you don't exhibit this one thing? Nor then do I understand, I don't understand cessationist period. And what I mean by that is Russell, even for the non-believers listening to this, like going, what are they talking about? Mm -hmm. The the Christian faith is predicated, the linchpin of the faith, no matter what denomination you're on, the linchpin of the Christian faith is that a dead Jewish man rose again 2,000 years ago. That is not normal. That is not natural. That is not rational. It doesn't matter what institution, academic institution, I don't care if you've gone to the Mm -hmm. top Ivy League school on earth. It makes no rational sense that you are hinging your entire, the eternal state of your soul on the fact that a dead Jewish man rose again Mm -hmm. 2,000 years ago. Okay. So I'm figuring, and on top of that, if you're an Orthodox Christian, you also then believe in a virgin birth. You believe that a Jewish teenage girl was overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit. Listen, I've got a daughter. She's a junior in university. I said to her before she went to university, honey, I believe in a virgin birth, but I need you to know. I only believe there was ever one. Uh, that's all I have to do. Do not come home and think, well, my mum is one of those crazy Christians. She's going to believe that this is a virgin. I said, I am. I did not fail biology at school. I know You're, You are a cessationist at that one miracle, right? <laughs> so my thing is, since the, God has woven into the faith itself, the very element of faith, the fact that there is this thing that is beyond human comprehension, beyond reason. It makes no sense. It's a trust factor. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own. It doesn't matter what degree you have. There is no understanding for the resurrection of a dead man who then ascended into heaven and we believe sits at the right hand of the Father. I mean, just Mm -hmm. forget every other secondary issue on earth just the linchpin of the Christian faith is so bizarre to all of the people listening to this. Tongues is nothing compared to that. Prophecy is nothing compared to that. It's healing the, I'm going, you believe a dead man rose. You believe you are not going to hell and you will be saved eternally because this dead man rose again. You believe he ascended into heaven. You believe he's going to come back again. Really? There's difficulty <laughs> believing that perhaps There's a supernatural to edify ourselves in our own private devotional prayer language. I think most Pentecostals would believe that, that God would give us that, that he could heal a body today, that he could give someone a word. And I'm not talking... I'm not talking about the crazy prophetic things. You know, there was once... Well, let's hold on prophecy just a minute. We'll we'll get back to that. Yeah. Yes. But so there's... I'm not talking about that. But Mm -hmm. is God able to transcend natural laws... I'm not saying he does it all the time. I'm not even saying it's a a normal pattern, but we have a pattern of it in the Gospels. My bigger question to you, Russell, would be why? 
Would you want the gifts to end? Our world is so dark. Our living on this planet is so hard to live as a born again believer of the Lord Jesus Christ on this earth is difficult enough. If Jesus himself, once he was buried, had a 40 day intermission before he went home to the father, 40 days on this planet to say, hang on a minute in Acts 1 verse 4 to say, I just need you all to wait. You've been with me. You've walked with me. You've heard my teaching. You have touched my miracles. I mean, they distributed the fish and the loaves. They touched the miracles. They saw blind eyes open. They saw the dead raised. But even that was not enough. Even that Jesus said, I need you to wait because another is going to come. The Holy Spirit of God is going to come and he's going to empower you with the power to be witnesses. I don't know how a Christian can be a witness on the earth, not to do witnessing, not to hand out full mm-hmm. spiritual laws tract, but to be a witness without the empowerment and encounter, call it what you want, baptism, spirit filling, an encounter with the spirit of God. And can I just say, not a once and done either, and on, on an ongoing basis. This episode is brought to you by Church Salary. Coming up with a reasonable salary range for church staff has never been easy. There are so many details to consider before setting compensation for church staff, and you're probably asking yourself questions like, are we paying too little or too much? What benefits do we offer employees? What's a reasonable housing allowance? Church Salary believes that offering competitive and fair compensation helps keep people in ministry. Using the expansive, church-specific compensation database and powerful salary calculator tool, you can also make better compensation decisions so your staff can focus on their ministries. Start with Church Salary's annual membership today to run unlimited customized reports and get access to our member-only content. Ready to start making better compensation decisions? Get started at churchsalary.com. As we were talking, I started thinking about a Jewish friend who listens to the show, an atheist friend who listens to the show, a Muslim friend who uh, who listens to the show. And I can imagine that my just assuming that they would know what we're even talking about when we say speaking in tongues is probably not a good assumption on my part. So when we say speak in tongues, what does that mean? Okay, well, you can be the theologian here, but I did write down the two sorts of, I've got because I wrote down the tongues debate. I thought this is where we're all going to go. And, you know, so the fact is God giving us, you know, when the day of Pentecost came, well, that's one type of tongues, cellularly, I think is the word, where people understood what they were saying. God gave them the ability to speak in the language that the people that were listening could understand. And I have heard I have no reason to disbelieve it, but again, I'm I'm sure some people will, of people that have been, and the best way to explain it if someone's wondering what this is, is that if someone is, is in a country where they don't know the language and yet all of a sudden it is like a divine grace, a divine gift, whatever you want to call it, a filling of the spirit comes where they then speak and they don't know what they're saying, but they're actually speaking in the language of the country that they're in or the people group that they're around. Now, I'm 57 years old. I've only personally 
heard of that happening twice, but even hearing of it happening once is pretty supernatural, where somebody has been on a foreign, in a foreign nation and, and God gave them the ability. Now, I know this sounds I know this sounds ridiculous. Of course it does, but so does a dead man rising 2,000 years ago. That sounds ridiculous too. So everything about it, it, the Christians that sort of try to go, I need to become palatable to the lost world. I'm like, you can't because the linchpin of our faith is nonsensical. You can only believe it by faith. You need the Holy Spirit to give you the faith to believe that your eternity is wrapped up on Jesus's crucifixion, death and resurrection. So it's the same with the gifts of the Spirit. And also, you know, the Holy Spirit, I think Alistair McGrath says that he's long been the Cinderella of the Trinity. You know, it's always the father and son that are invited to the ball. And we all, you know, especially in many circles, we have the Holy Trinity is the Father, Son and Holy Scriptures, not the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And so it's like we don't know what to do with him. And so we get nervous. We forget that he's a person. We forget that he has attributes that he feels and he's, 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 our comforter and he's to walk through life with us. But so there is the capacity to that kind of tongues that happened on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter two, where they heard a sound like a mighty rushing wind. They saw as of tongues of fire that, you know, rested on people's heads. And then they spoke, which I think is a sign of when the Holy Spirit comes, you hear things you've never heard. You see things you never see. You speak things that you've never spoken. And so, and the people that were listening were amazed. The Bible says they were just amazed and they marveled because they could each hear them in their own language. So there's those sort of tongues. Mm -hmm. And then there's glossalia, of course, which to me is in my personal devotional life. with. And, and that's, a, that's for you, that's different. These are two different oh, things. A different thing. yeah, it's like, I, yeah. and I think that's my personal, I think that's what Paul maybe was talking about when he said, I speak in tongues more than you all. Mm. And it's a, it's a devote. There are some things that I don't even have utterance. The spirit gives me utterance because I don't know what to pray. I don't know how mm. to say it. I think the very fact that Paul himself, who we love so much, said, I, I, said it is a case for why would we be cessationists? Like he didn't seem to have a problem talking at the Oropagus, you know, with people that were obviously far from God and looking for the entry point into their culture and speaking about the unknown God and let me talk to you about him and being in the temple and speaking to the scholars and the academics and the theologians and then also speaking in tongues, he said, more than everyone. But, of course, he, he put that in the context, especially in 1 Corinthians 14, that, you know, love, love is what mm -hmm. has to drive this. It's, mm -hmm. it's love. That, and if you don't do it, he says, I would rather speak five words in a language you all understand than 10,000 words in tongues if there's not love that's undergirding it. And definitely in the conversation about the gifts of the Spirit, and particularly the issue of tongues, it hasn't often been done in love. And I think a lot of us who would stand where I stand have thought, you know what, I'd just rather speak five words in a language everyone understands than the rest, than get involved in this kind of divisive thing that is mm -hmm. causing fracture or pain in the body. Anything that would ever cause another believer to feel less than is not done in love. I can think of moments where I have prayed and I've just thought to myself, I don't even know what to pray at all. A and that Romans 8 promise, the Spirit will intercede for you, is true. So there's moments like that. Is that kind of what it's like? Or, or do you know consciously what it is that you're you're communicating in prayer at that time? More often than not, no, I don't. Mm -hmm. And uh, mm -hmm. but But I certainly, it builds 
me up. And there is a different times. There are times when it, it is like a groaning, I don't, you know, what's yeah. happening in the world right now. I, I mm-hmm. don't know how to pray. I just don't know how to pray. So I pray what I would phrase, I pray in the spirit a lot. And I might go for a long walk. And so you go, Christine, do you know anything you've just said in the last half hour? No, but my spirit man, for want of a better phrase, just feels like I've had a breakthrough. I don't know how else to word it, but it's like the heaviness seems to lift. And there are other times of ecstatic joy where it's just this spontaneous, it just bursts out of me in joy and laughter. I mean, in a controlled way. See, all the gifts of the spirit, it's, it's even the prophetic gift is always subject to the prophet. Of course you can control people that go that I can't control things. It, that's not even scriptural because it, it, it's subject to you. So it's not that, mm. you know, I'm not going to be in a meeting with you and suddenly bust out, you know, I'm going to be speaking English in a way that we both can have a conversation. But when I'm talking to the Lord and I'm by myself, yeah, all bets are off, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. yes. It's, it seems that mostly what Paul refers to in the New Testament, particularly in, in 1 Corinthians, is a public use of, of speaking in tongues and a building up of the, of the body and a, a conversation about translation of those tongues. How, how do you think it should work itself out in the gathering of the body? Well, I think it should work itself out exactly as Paul explains it in Corinthians. <laughs> and I think he was addressing that. And a lot of our reaction, I think, across the broader evangelical church to the excesses of the charismatic Pentecostal movement is that things were out of order. And that reaction is warranted. I think it's entirely warranted because Paul's addressing the exact same thing in Corinthians. He's like, this is, you're all out of control. Mm-hmm. And I certainly don't come from a stream of the church that's like that. I come from a very, you know, ordered, it would be like, even even in my own experiences of in the charismatic Pentecostal world, people would often come into my church and go, are, are you actually charismatic? It, it just mm. seemed like a, it wouldn't have been very different to some of the churches that you have known in, you know, some possibly some of the mega churches in the Baptist movement. It wouldn't have been very different to that sort of setting. So there was order. I can again tell you, I could probably count on two hands the amount of public meetings I've been in in 35 years of following Jesus where there has been a tongue prophecy and every time there's been an interpretation of that tongue. Somebody could do evangelism in a bumbling, harsh or manipulative way. That doesn't mean we don't do evangelism. Kind of the same same principle there. And you could take that across everything. It's yeah. like it's so what we've done is thrown the baby out with the bathwater. And it's like saying, okay, well, that means, you know, because of the excesses. But the fact of the matter is that, you know, I, I keep coming back to Acts 8 with Simon because he was so I mean, he had drawn all the attention to himself. Then he sees what happens. And the scripture says that he believes and is water baptized. And after he believes and is water baptized, then he still says, hey, can I pay you for that gift of laying on of hands? So, you know, so even right, and then it doesn't say, and so all the apostles suddenly became cessationists because Simon, after he believed and got water baptized, tried to manipulate the gifts and make money off them and was a trickster and a huckster. It doesn't say that at all. I mean, you Mm -hmm. keep reading through and the gifts. So I think we have to be careful. I think there we can see, wow, God's showing us there's always the real and the counterfeit. 
it's always been there and that we have to have discernment to know which is which and you don't want to say this mm-hmm. is god if it's not you don't want to make absolute claims about anything when it comes to operating in the gifts of the spirit because we are all aware of the misuses and abuses and how that has really damaged people a little earlier you were talking about how we're really none of us cessationists all the way through because the Christian faith is is built on a, a miracle and every conversion, Scripture says, is a, a miracle. God speaks into, into darkness, let there be light, and there is light. If somebody said, God has called me to be an apostle, and they explain what they mean by that in the same terms as James, John, Peter, Paul, that 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 wouldn't happen. I mean, so there's something unique that that happened at the onset that isn't ongoingly repeated. Or am I or am I picturing that? Yeah, that, that would be that's a big argument for the cessationists. So yes, and I, like I, I because it would be like that was unique. It was needed to get the church off the ground. The Holy Spirit came in a particular way to birth the church. He worked through the apostles in a particular way in order to get the church up and happening. And I don't know, let's go to our logical conclusions. So what? We're so good now we don't need it? I don't know. Like, do we not need that power? Do we not? And it would depend where you fall on the Ephesians 4. Do we believe that the body of Christ still has apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, and pastors? So is there the fathers of the church, the apostles of the church? Is that a different thing to this? Well, yes. (laughs) I think yes, that, that would be obvious. But do I still believe that the Ephesians 4 giftings for the edification and the building up of the body to bring the body to the maturity, do I believe they still operate today? Yes. And do I believe some people have really exploited and manipulated that and where we've gone with some of the, you know, apostolic reformation, apostolic the things that have come out of that, does that make people nervous I don't use that language much because I realize it could trigger a lot of people. There's, it's. I still come down to I think a lot of this is semantics. I mm. do see how things have been abused. What makes me sad is that we would think that we do not need a constant filling because Paul even tells us in Ephesians 5 that to, to be filled, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. So if that language makes people feel more comfortable, I'm like, cool, whatever that is, that there needs to be this constant filling and is the first corinthians gifts do they still operate i believe yes i it would be very dishonest of me to say no because do i see them operating you know all the gifts in that list today in 2023 yes i was one time preaching in a charismatic church and they said we're going to have a time of prophecy and two or three people got up with a, a word And it went something along the lines of this. I think God seems to be telling me that there's somebody here who is, you know, they described something grappling with a hard time or or something. I forget how they described it. And, And then they gave this word of encouragement perfectly consonant with Scripture. It was completely appropriate. 
And after I said, I have no problem at all with that. I would I would not see it as the same thing that Paul's talking about as prophecy or 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 as the the Old Testament prophets were, but I think it's does the spirit give us intuition and leadings that we can't explain and and give us a, a word that somebody needs to hear at the right minute. Yeah, I think that's uh, completely right. And I talked to the the elders of that t- church and I said, "How do you normally handle this?" And they said, "Well, we make sure that we talk to nobody's getting up and just open mic night. They're, you know, we're, we're understanding what it is that they're going to say. And it all seemed just completely reasonable to me. When you think of prophecy, are you thinking something more along the lines of that? And I think encouragement and exhortation is one thing very different to prophecy. Mm. Now, all of us are very scared of getting triggered as we go here right now because especially the last seven or eight years, it's been, it, it wasn't really till I moved to America that I realised like, oh, some of these prophecies, I think I might become a cessationist as well because it is like so off the rack. I never thought of more. I never thought of becoming a cessationist more than I did in 2016, 17, 18, 19, 20. I mean, literally I would call mm. some mutual friends of ours and go, I think, I think I'm hanging, handing in my Pentecostal card. I think, <laughs> I think I'm handing in my charismatic card because if that is a prophetic word, thus saith the Lord, then I, I don't even know if I'm a Christian because I don't, I don't, it doesn't resonate. It's so, and I think it's, you could do so much danger. You start putting God's name on anything like thus saith the Lord, you're playing with people's lives mm. and it is it, people make life decisions that, that affect their families, that affect their finances, that affect their jobs. You know, it would be, I, I don't even, I'm trying to even count on my hand. I, I th- I'm trying to think even in my own case, if I feel a prompting, I, I will more often than I go, I feel, feel this in my case, I'm pretty sure nine, if not 9.9 times out of 10, I'm going to direct someone to a scripture and tell someone to weigh it, to put it on a shelf, to think about it, to go to their own council, their own elders, their own leaders. So I definitely think that there you can prophesy in that there can is a thus saith the Lord. I just think you need to be very careful with a lot of wisdom and the younger someone is in the faith, you you need to put guardrails in for them because anyone that comes in with any word that is going to turn your life around tomorrow, uh, you know, I'm just like, whoa, red flag everywhere. Scripture tells us to weigh prophecy. And Paul says, earnestly desire it. So, uh, and I earnestly desire it, but I have safeguards, checks and balances. I am going to take every word. There's a lot of words that I just know instantly. <laughs> like you, Russell, there's a lot of people that would love to give us lots of prophetic words from the Lord <laughs> yeah. that have come from their flesh and thus saith the Lord. And yes, and so you, a lot your spirit instantly knows this is just not it. But there are some where you go, I, I don't want to dismiss anything. So I have good counsel, very wise counsel. And if I'm, because of the position that I'm in, if I feel, I'm not going to go, if I'm ministering in a, a church or in a, a conference, you're not going to see me on the side giving someone a word or something. I think some of those things are really dangerous. I think if, if you feel that, 
you need to get their leadership or, you know, some accountability mm. around and say, okay, I, I have something to say. Is it okay? And if so, there's more than one witness and you can measure this and there's some accountability for what I'm – and if it's not edifying and yeah. doesn't exhort, it doesn't point people to Jesus, I would just throw it out personally. You know, I'm just like, are yeah. you kidding me? There is no way – yeah. Yeah. But there are times when, uh, you know, I, I think that people who are more out of my sort of wing of the church can get overly, quite a bit overly rational about how it is that God works when a lot of the time there really is a sense I don't really know how to explain this, but I think God is leading me to talk to this person right now or to I, – I do think that God, God often works in that way that we can't, we, can't, we can't just put down on a notepad and say here are the pros and the cons. Well, I think even Russell put it down to even pastors that – how do they pick their sermon series or their teaching series? I mean at the end of the day, it's like – I feel our church needs this in mm -hmm, this season yeah. and we're going to go through the book of Ephesians or we're going to go, even if you're going to, you know, preach through the books of the Bible verse by verse, you still have a sense that this is where our church is and what we're needing. So I'm like, what mm -hmm. is that sense, that that unction? Again, I, w I would argue that is like a Holy Spirit prompting and it's, mm. and why would he not? If we've been filled, if we've been baptized in the Holy Spirit and then are being continually filled by the Spirit, why why would that not happen? And to reduce God, how arrogant is it to reduce God to my intellect, my training, my resources, my knowledge, my understanding, to reduce the God of the universe to what my capacity is, I think is the height of pride and arrogance. And I, I dare I say, and you could actually, you know, I know this is supposed to be the where am I wrong. I'd love you to think about, and you could probably tell me, in my experience, and this is across the globe, Nick and I have done a lot of missions work, you know, in over 100 countries of the world. So I've worked with the, the breadth of the church because on the mission field, the good news is people are desperate. So, yeah. like, so, I mean, I could tell you people from your tradition, people from a whole lot of other traditions mm -hmm. that were cessationists and went to the mission field and it all got messed up for them. Right. And uh, yeah. But they haven't told their missions board because the funding would stop. But, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> right. but it's, so this is how I know God will transcend any of that sort of stuff. And so I've mm -hmm. seen it all around the world. But where I have seen this deliberate sort of trying to silence the voice of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, in my experience, I don't have data for this, I have seen a direct correlation, silencing the voice of the Spirit, minimizing the gifts of the Spirit or saying they don't exist. There's a direct correlation to then silencing the voice of women. Mm. And I, I would be just interested somewhere down the track for you to think through that. Mm -hmm. why, why do you think we tend to depersonalize the Holy Spirit? And I think that's right. It, there, there's a way where for a lot of people, it seems to be natural to say it when they're talking about the Holy Spirit in a way they never would with the Father or the Son. Or the Why son. do you think or, that is? I think this even, Russell, that we say the third part of the Trinity. How do you have a third part of a triune God? Like as in there's, there's he's a triune God 
I think even in our thinking, it's like, you know, the Olympics, there's gold, silver, bronze. So gold is the father, <laughs> silver is the son, and bronze is the third part. Yeah. So it's just, and again, I understand I'm speaking sort of a little bit metaphorically, whatever, but, but truly the images we have and the way we speak about the Holy Spirit, it rather than he, he is a part of the triune God, that he's our comforter, our friend, that we, what it comes down to is we're control freaks. And mm. we fear what we don't understand. And because we feel like right from Pentecost throughout, we cannot control the Holy Spirit. So if we just put it to our reasoning and our understanding, so we don't hunger and thirst. And yet I think what's happening at Asbury and all around colleges, mm -hmm. I was at another university last night, and just like you're hearing everywhere we go, there are there's something stirring. So mm -hmm. people lingering at the altar last night, just kneeling, young you know college students on their face, prostrate before the Lord, crying out to God. So Gen Z doesn't have a problem with this. They're yeah. crying out. They're not frightened. But our generation, and I'm older than you, I think, so, you know, but our generation has this very rational, enlightened mindset. So we need God to fit in a box and we want to control. Now, we would never say this, but right. we fear that and we don't trust because faith is predicated on trust, not understanding. We have so tried to rationalize our faith, you know, evidence that demands a verdict. Here it is. Mm -hmm. Now, that's okay for our generation. You know, we can still have great apologetics classes that are going to explain things. But my daughter's generation in college, they're, they're an experiential generation. They want an encounter with God. They want to see that it works. Then they'll believe that it's true. They don't need an understanding. They want to see that I'm the real deal. Then they'll believe that Jesus is true. They're not worried about me giving them a series of propositional truths about Jesus's, you know, birth death and resurrection, they want to know, am I living a life that is so full of the spirit that bears witness to the truth? They would, mm -hmm. So in the olden days, we would tell the truth and then maybe we would bear witness to it, but it really didn't matter because here is the truth. And if I, mm -hmm. your rational understanding nowadays, we have to bear witness before they'll even listen to the truth. And they will, that's what I mean by they want to see, is this working in your life? Do you really live it? Okay. Now tell me what you've built your life on and way whether it's true. So I think our fear of the Holy Spirit, so we've built our, our doctrine on the Trinity around the Father, Son, and Holy Scriptures. And so we haven't gotten to know, so we, we've equated the Holy Scripture with the Holy Spirit almost. It's sort of like we kicked him out, put this in, and then gone, okay, it is so interesting to me Then you've not developed, a, not you, but I mean, generally in that, mm. what that lends itself to is I may know the scriptures back from Genesis to Revelation, but there's no power because what brings them to life is the spirit of God. And so we just go, we put him in the doxology. We say, well, because, you know, the church nearly split over the issue of the Trinity, we theoretically will put him in the creeds. We'll say that we'll believe in him, but we don't know him because we're scared he might mess us up. And then when we read in the book of Acts, my gosh, look what happened. What if, what if I lose control? So then what we can do is when we see revivals and see God, you know, just think in the, in, in Ephesians, when we're told to be filled with the spirit, not wine, you know, so that we, so don't, don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the spirit. Well, that insinuates to me when Paul's writing that, 
that being filled with the Spirit, why would he equate it with wine? Like, I mean, you must, mm-hmm. obviously there's this feel. What happens when, no, you wouldn't know, Russell, because you're a good Baptist boy, but <laughs> you know, when, when you're a heathen like me from the old days, when you're drunk with wine, as long as you're not sort of angry, over drunk, whatever, you, you're laughing, you're jovial. How does everyone look to you when you're drunk? Everyone's beautiful. Everyone's awesome. <laughs> you know, life is fantastic. There's this thing. And then when they're filled with the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, it says, look, it's nine o'clock in the morning. They're not drunk. So obviously they were acting in a way that seemed a little bit whatever. And so I'm thinking we are so scared of anything like that, that we're like, I need to be composed. I need to be dignified. I don't want to lose control. I need to understand. I need to reason. Now, I would call that the spirit of the age, like reasoning, understanding. I think we just sold out as the church in the era before this one to, to we wanted to be as enlightened. I mean, we're so enlightened. We've enlightened the Holy Spirit out of his church. To dismiss experience from our relationship with God because we, you know, God doesn't like feelings. We need to control ourselves and God doesn't like emotionalism. We have just gotten so burnt by emotionalism or out of control people that we've just become rational, organized, controlled, and we've controlled the spirit right out of our lives. And I just think that's sad. What I loved most of all about Israel and why I became a Zionist was because Zionism was a rejection of victimhood. A few weeks ago on CT's The Bulletin, we launched Promised Land, a new podcast about Israel and Palestine in a post-October 7th world. 6.30 a.m., we're we're in in our synagogue praying, and sirens go off, and they're they're going on. Based on interviews and conversations captured on the ground in Israel last November, it's an exploration of the spiritual, political, and historical roots of the conflict. When there's a weak Israel, Every Jew in the world is weak. And why should uh, a Russian Jew who has nothing to do with this land come come here? Why? I mean, if you want, you can give them Texas. You love them so much. I am alive because I wasn't, I I didn't come home. But all my friends that were here were murdered. Here, here, over there. This week, Promised Land moves to its own feed. You'll find links in the show notes. So if you haven't heard it yet, you can go catch up and catch the new episodes as they come all in one place. It seems as though you're really optimistic about revival, not just happening, but that it is happening. So, I mean, so what do you see God doing around the world right now? It is. And I love it, Russell, because it's like there's me, the optimist, the, the he, on this call, we've got the half full and half empty person. Right? <laughs> like, this is why we're, we're good together. But because, you know, I, I guess, again, I'm like Peter and John, I can't help but speak of the things mm-hmm. that I have 
seen and heard. And, you know, just the last 14 weeks, my husband and I have gone to 12 different countries around the world. We have A21 in 14 countries around the world. And so in all of those countries, of course, I go to visit our work, but also to speak in churches and conferences. I'm talking stadiums of people that, and, and I'm old school. Listen, this is where if you have any resonance with your old Baptist roots, I, I am a Baptist school in terms of old school altar calls, walking the, that's why I loved your Me books too. so much. I'm like, yes, when I, your chapter <laughs> on altar calls, I'm highlighting, I'm telling everyone, Russell Moore is still into altar calls. So am I. <laughs> I think we might be the only two people on the earth. We, we might be, yeah. <laughs> but um, I am, and can I just say, when I give an invitation, I'm not exaggerating now, hundreds and more often than not thousands are coming forward. So mm. it's, 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 I've, I don't know if you've ever been in a Billy Graham, mm-hmm. I'm sure you yeah. have. You can't explain that supernatural moment when when just they're streaming, they're streaming. The Holy Spirit is drawing people to Jesus. It's just there's no feeling like it on earth, but I'm seeing that. Mm. And um, I went to, you know, Lima, Peru, and I, I, I mean, I could just take you country after country from Poland to Bulgaria to Spain to, and just gatherings of people earnestly seeking God and people being saved. I mean, I'm talking saved, saved, like Paul of, you know, on the horse being sort of God encountering them in light of, you know, the pain and suffering happening in the world today. I'm just grateful that in the last few years I had the opportunity to go to places like Qatar and 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 preach the gospel and, and, and in that Middle Eastern region. And the story after story I've heard of people that got say very supernaturally in dreams, Jesus coming to them. I mean, you, I don't know what you do with that. There, there has to, I don't know, what do you want to do with that, Russell? But mm-hmm. the people, and these are people, they're not, they're not making this up because they could die for this. So you, you don't make this stuff up and you lose all your family and all your friends and you could potentially yeah. be killed for this. So only it's supernatural and so in those countries no one is arguing about whether the gifts of the spirit operate no one is arguing about whether the holy spirit is real nobody is writing desperation is a gift they need Mm -hmm. this to be real and we just think well i'm just too cool for school and (laughs) i'm not seeing it so i'm seeing people get saved I, i am seeing i mean again i cannot help but speak of the things i've seen and heard physical bodies being healed. Now, I'm not seeing it all the time, but I am seeing it and seeing it in the West. People with verifiable doctor's reports. Here is the scan with cancer. After prayer, here is the scan without cancer. So again, I don't know what you do with that, but there it is. Words of knowledge that you can't make up. Like, 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 I have a friend and like we constantly text each other going, you cannot make this stuff up. It's like it's you can't make it up. There has to be. The amount of times out of my mouth comes a thing, there has to be a God. There has mm, to be a God. Mm-hmm. And so if everywhere I go, even in the darkest places and the hardest places, you know, I feel like Jesus says, go and tell John the Baptist, you know, the lame walk, the blind see, the, the, the deaf hear, people are getting saved. God is at work. And you just have to elevate. It's kind of like we've got what's happening in the American evangelical world, which is a small slither and the white American evangelical world. Mm-hmm. It is possibly the smallest slither of the Christian church broadly across the globe to have our entire Christian experience 
just shrunk down to that mm-hmm. and thinking that is reality and thinking whatever's happening on Twitter, that is reality, <laughs> is such a sad way to live. But to come up higher and go across the world, look what the Lord's doing, then you end up like Peter and John. And, you know, they, he said to them, look, listen, He's obviously been with Jesus. He's obviously seeing something and hearing something. And I find I spend more time seeing and hearing what Jesus is doing than seeing and hearing what everyone else is doing and saying. It keeps me happier. Mm. It keeps the joy on my face and it keeps me seeing the glass half full. I always think of my friend Mike Cromarty, who was one of the greatest men I ever knew. Just an amazing person who was able to connect with connect with people and explain Jesus better than probably anybody I've ever known. But he, when he was diagnosed with cancer, he said to me, will you pray for me? And I said, yeah, Mike, I'm, I'm going to pray for you. And he said, no, I mean, pray for me like a Pentecostal. <laughs> he said, I, I, I don't need a give him peace and comfort. I need, Lord, would you heal him? <laughs> so I, I think every time I start to start to pray now for somebody, I think Mike would have me pray like a Pentecostal. That's what I'm going to do. And I think all of us should be wherever we are on any of these things, praying like a Pentecostal for the gospel to go forward and for revival to happen. And Christine Kane, it is always so fun to talk to you. I've kept you a lot longer than I promised to, but it's because I was having such a good time, as I always do with you. And so if you had told 2007 Russell Moore, one of his favorite people to talk to is a woman Pentecostal preacher, I would not have believed it, but... You can't make it up. God does stuff, doesn't he? Must be. Must be. <laughs> Thank you, Chris, for being with us today. Thank you. It's been my honor. The Russell Moore Show is a production of Christianity Today. Executive producers are Eric Petrick, Russell Moore, and Mike Cosper. Hosted by Russell Moore, produced by Ashley Hales. Associate producers are Abby Perry. Director of Operations for CT Media is Matt Stevens. Audio engineering provided by Dan Phelps. Video producer is Abby Egan. And the theme song for The Russell Moore Show is Dusty Delta Day by Lennon Hutton. Every day, CT testifies to the reality that Jesus is alive, transforming his world and bringing his kingdom to bear. Jesus transforms, CT equips. Make a gift to our nonprofit ministry with a gift of $20 to provide 150 more people with redemptive storytelling, global perspective, and thoughtful podcasts. Give now at morect.com equip.